Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Some questions just don't seem to have obvious answers, do they? I mean, you can probably find them. If you worked hard enough, spent enough time on it, uh, you could probably figure it out. But some it would take a little more than just regular head scratching. I'll give you a few to work on for next week. If water spins clockwise when it drains in the northern hemisphere, and it spins counterclockwise when it drains in the southern hemisphere, which way does it spin at the equator? Or does it even spin at all? When you put the, H-E, and I-R-S together, it forms theirs. Uh, could that just be a coincidence? If you had x-ray vision but you closed your eyes, could you still see? If a man is walking in the forest and there's no woman there to hear him, is he still wrong? <laughs> what would you do if you saw an endangered animal eating an endangered plant? Yeah, right? And my favorite, if knees were backwards, what would chairs look like? Well, we got one of those scratch-your-head kind of questions in our lesson from Paul's letter to the church at Rome this morning. He asks us to become, what he says, living or living sacrifices. That sort of sounds like a, a little pregnant, doesn't it? Or freezer burn, or even men's intuition. <laughs> Listen again to the verse. That's from uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, here's something that will help you next time you read your Bibles. Whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, you, can ask, you should ask yourself, what's it there for? When you get to chapter 12 in Romans, Paul sort of makes a shift from doctrine to practice. Uh, he does something similar in Ephesians and Colossians. First he establishes and then he moves on to applying that doctrine in the second half. Like here are the facts. Now, how are they relative? You know, what are we supposed to do? You know, what do they mean to me? A lot like a good sermon should do. No matter what you may have heard or even concluded from all your years of sermons, theology is never cold or lifeless. It always has a practical application. It's about learning to listen to the part that says, based on everything I've just said, here's what you do with it. This is the part you take home. There are over a dozen therefore type words in, in the book of Romans, depending on what translation you might be using. Uh, at least four of them lead into our lesson today. Uh, Romans 3.30 is a therefore of condemnation. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Romans 5.1 is a therefore of justification. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means um, seen as righteous and acceptable to God. And therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 is a therefore of assurance. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you can see how it kind of flows right up to the transition point of Paul's letter this morning. For 11 chapters, Paul's been outlining doctrine. And now in Romans 12, verse 1, he sort of turns a corner and he gives us a therefore, a therefore of sin. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
It's writing to believers here, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's saying that although we're, we're, we're guilty before God, and we deserve to die for it, right? The, the price for sin, the penalty for sin is death, to be separated from God forever because of that sin. We have been declared righteous by him through faith in Christ, and we'll never have to face that condemnation. That's good news. That's great news. Based on the entire argument of chapters 1 through 11, that kind of unconditional love and mercy uh, just demands a response. We love why? Because God first loved us, right? John, uh, 1 John 4. Our natural response then is, is uh, the desire to, to give our lives over to God. You know, it's like, what can I do for you in return? You know, um, how can we not do that? You know, he bought us, uh, freed us from bondage to sin and, and, and death with the blood of his own son. You know, Paul's saying it in a sense that after, after belief comes behavior. After right thinking comes right living. After experiencing the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ, we respond to that grace by reflecting the love of heaven that came down with and in the person of his son Jesus in everything we say and do. And we're enabled to do that because we've been brought to faith by the Holy Spirit. We've been and will continue to be transformed. That's verse 2. Uh, transform comes from the uh, uh, original word in the Greek is our word for metamorphosis. Uh, transform. It's like the ability to, for a caterpillar to fly is infused in its DNA, right? But it can't fly. It doesn't even have wings. Not until it wraps itself in a cocoon and undergoes a, a metamorphosis, a, a change, until it changes into what it was created to be, you know, all along, a butterfly. You know, through water and the Word, you and I have been infused with the Holy Spirit, who first gifts us with faith and then begins a change, a metamorphosis in us, a transformation from a creature of the world into a child of God, a living sacrifice. The church word for that process is sanctification. It's the idea that the Holy Spirit works on us to make us uh, more and more holy, more and more like God, even though we can never achieve that on this side of heaven. Uh, and, and, you know, really, just like a, a butterfly trying to escape its cocoon, uh, don't feel bad if it seems like an uphill battle sometimes, because it really is. See, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it's always trying to crawl down off the altar, isn't it? While God is working to transform us to his ways, the devil, the world, and our sinful natures are working to conform us to theirs. The world denies God. It hates God and all things God, including his church. And so we'll fight against us. Now, there is evil afoot in the world. It may be uh, more obvious during election years, I suppose, but it's always there. It's always been there. It always will be there. Look at how this COVID thing has been used against the church. You know, we have everything required in place for safe worship up there in the sanctuary. And we're here we are, worshiping out in the hot sun because we've been locked out for so long and unable to worship together, we feel lucky to be doing it. 
That's just crazy. What does Jesus tell Peter this morning about this church he's going to create on the rock of faith? He says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so here we are, still worshiping, not defeated. goes on. On a personal level, well, on a one-on-one -on -one level, it probably means we'll be tempted, teased, torn, tattered, but God will strengthen us. And in spite of opposing forces, enable us to become what we were created to be in Christ. But there's one caveat. We won't do it against our will. Okay, so to have that happen, we have to keep ourselves <laughs> Not a little bit here and a little bit there. Not just on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It has to be our whole being. Our bodies, Paul says, as a living sacrifice. That picture of a sacrifice comes from Old Testament worship, where priests would, would spend, uh, I can't imagine, uh, how much of their day, you know, spilling the blood of, of bulls and goats and lambs. These are animals without blemish that people would bring as an offering <laughs> Animals that usually raised for their own nourishment and support, but were willing to give up to God in accordance with the law. And they've been doing this for something like 1,500 years. And we can only imagine the river of blood that had been spilled. And yet it wasn't that actual blood that atoned for the people's sins. Hebrews 10.4 says, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It wasn't the act of killing the animal that saved it was faith that killing looked forward to. The once and for all time sacrifice of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. That's what separated the Old Testament from the New Testament. The entire legal system of the Old Testament was devised to prepare the Jews for the day when John the Baptist would announce, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 Jesus was God's lamb sent from heaven to earth. He was the final sacrifice and the one that actually did save us. All the blood of all those animals that all those priests had sacrificed for all those years were really just pointing to him. It was faith in God's promised Savior that saved people of the Old Testament, just like it's faith in the Lamb of God, the very Son of God, that same Savior who has now come that saves us today. It was his sacrifice, his death on the cross, that enables all our sins to be washed away, now paid for with his own shed blood. He removed the barriers that stood between us and eternal life. Out of his death comes our life. There's no bull in this church. Anybody bring a bull with them today? <laughs> a goat? No sheep? Okay, so a couple of you might say, well, I I got an old goat here snuck in. Uh, talking about the four-legged kind, right? That's the kind. And you didn't need to bring one because now that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, that old system has seen its fulfillment. It's a dead system. Calvary and the empty tomb marked the apex, the culmination, the once and for all time fulfillment of God's plan for our salvation. It's what everything that came before pointed forward to and everything that's happened since points back to I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul's asking us to respond to that sacrifice of God's love with our own life, a living body, our body. 
And the kind of love that brought us freedom from the fear of death and freedom from bondage to sin asks, you know, what now? The free gift of faith and forever in heaven demands a response. And Paul tells us how we can do it by offering our bodies to him. Does that sound a little odd to you? Offering our bodies to him. The word in the, in the original language only means body, though. So you really can't um, plug in things like, you know, give to Jesus or give yourself to the Lord heart and soul. It's very poetic, but it's not what it says. You want your body. Why do you suppose he put it like that? I think he wanted to be more practical than poetic. You know, if you get your physical body, he's going to get the rest of your Wherever God takes your body, the rest of you is going to follow. Your soul and your heart and every other part. Paul says giving ourselves to God is an act of worship. You ever wonder what God looks like? Does he have a face like ours? Does he have eyes? Does he have lips? The Bible does talk about God a lot of times about the sense of him speaking and listening seeing and having all sorts of physical attributes, but it also says that he's spirit. Uh, John 4.24, Jesus tells us God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But God isn't limited by space. He's right here with us on the patio. Just as much as he's is with us in that nice, cool, Air-conditioned sanctuary. <laughs> the Luther Confessions say the New, the New Testament worship is spiritual. It's the righteousness of faith in the heart and the fruits of faith. It's back in the 16th century it was written. It's the New Testament worship is spiritual. It's the righteousness of faith in the heart and the fruits of that faith. It means that it's no longer about the, the, the blood of dead sacrifices. Right? Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Referring to God in human terms, or the human body is just a, a way to help us understand the body in our terms. But God is spirit. God wants our bodies so that he can use them for his glory. That makes sense, right? Uh, not just here at church on Sunday. I mean, it's Sunday worship, we pray, and we listen, and we learn, and we offer our thanks and our praise, but our Sunday spiritual worship takes us right out into the world physically, uh, to wherever we go, really, to share what we've heard and to share what we've learned and, and what we've been blessed with. In the workplace, uh, maybe in school, in our homes, wherever we go, whatever we do, in every place, in every situation, God wants to use you for his glory and purpose. Our response to the grace already shown to us in Christ should be, here I am, God. Use me. And we may feel like uh, we're pretty safe, especially the older you get, right? In such a uh, magnanimous offering to God. Surely there are much better physical specimens out there than us he could use. We stand in front of a mirror at home and we think maybe there's not much there for him to work with anyway, so what are the odds of even Take us up on our offer. Well, yours might not be exactly the body you want, but God wants the body you have so he can put it in the service for himself. We say, why would you want my body, Lord? It's overweight, 
It's out of shape, it's wrinkled and spotted and achy and itchy and diseased and impulsive and unattractive and lazy and awkward and disabled and easily led astray. It's nearsighted. It's hard of hearing. It's getting brittle and it's starting to move. And he says, it's perfect for my needs. I'll take it. I know you better than you know yourself. Because you can't imagine I'm going to transform that body someday. How glorious it's going to become. In the meantime, I can use it just the way it is. I can use your lips to spread <laughs> I can use your hands to reach out and help another person up. Maybe even open a Bible and point out my love for them. I can use your arms to, 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 to hold them close you know, when they're hurting. I can use your eyes. In your ears to see and to hear the, the, the hurt and, and the, the troubles and what I see and hear in the world. And then I can use you to do something about it. I can use your legs and your feet in ways you'd never guess to take you places you'd never dream. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice means taking all that you have and all that you are and placing it at God's disposal. You know, it takes all kinds to reach all kinds. Because Along with God's spirit came God's gifts. Even if you haven't discovered all of yours yet. In the early 18th century, there lived a young man from one of the noble families in Saxony named uh, Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. His family had become Lutherans after the Reformation. As an older teen, during a tour of Europe, he came across a painting in the Dusseldorf Museum by Domenico Fetti called Pecha Homo. Which from the Latin translates, Behold the Man. And it was a picture of Christ during his trial before Pontius Pilate, wearing his crown of thorns. And the artist had written across the bottom of the painting, This I have done for you. What have you done for me? It was a turning point in that boy's life. He'd written letters to Jesus as young as the age of six. He'd already written some hymns. But this painting spoke to him in a way that spoke to his heart. He became determined to, to give something more back. Eventually, he would give over a portion of his family land to persecuted Christians from Moravia to Bohemia, the modern-day Czech Republic. And they built a village there, and they formed the Moravian Church. As they grew under his influence, they subscribed to the Lutheran Confessions. They began sending out missionary colonies to the West Indies and to America. He would go on to write over 2,000 hymns, one of which, which we just sang, Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness. It was translated into English by John Wesley, who noted in his journal on his own missionary trip to the New World that while a, a storm raged around them, a great storm at sea, the Moravians could be heard singing their hymns. Even while that storm threatened to sink the ship, it made such an impression on him Wesley went on to found the Methodist Church. You never know what God can do with you, and, and if you're still breathing, you can always be sure that he isn't finished with you. Ask him to show you what to use you. you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to his glory and spreading of his kingdom. Don't be surprised, though. You'll find real purpose and a sense of contentment and achievement you've never known before. Tap into God's gifts. And you might just find yourself awash in God's blessings. Amen. Now may the very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.